Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Amen. Amen. We can have a seat this morning. Thank you, team, so much for leading us in worship and... Um, what a God we serve. What a God um, who is sovereign over all creation. Um, maybe you know this God this morning. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time and you're wondering, what is this whole deal with God and what is Christianity all about? Well, I pray this morning that even as we worship that you get a sense that God is good and that he loves you. Uh, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as God himself. He came in the form of, of, of a human. He came and he died on a cross. He, he, he paid for the sins of the world. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. And he rose again victorious over sin and death. Uh, and, and, he, and he beckons us to come know him as Lord and Savior, that we might be forgiven of our sins and have a newness of life, a whole new way of life, a, no, a whole new way of living. And not just on this side of, of earth, but as we die and pass on, we have a, an existence waiting for us that's coming. Um, anyways, I, I pray that you know him this morning, and I pray uh, that you'll continue to grow in him as we continue uh, uh, this morning, as we dive into his word. Uh, and with that, uh, well, real quick, some of you may not know, my name is Matt uh, Hayden. I'm one of the pastors here on staff here at River of Life. Uh, I'm normally... Uh, doing some worship and or doing overseeing some journey group stuff. I wear some different hats here, and uh, but it's an honor to share God's word with you this morning. And uh, glad you're here. Um, let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter five today. Whether you have a, a phone that you got a Bible app on there or an iPad, or if you got a good old old fashioned Word of God, would you turn to First Thessalonians chapter five? We're going to dive right in this morning. As we come to this portion of the morning, First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, we're gonna we're gonna end the book uh, this morning. So we're gonna be reading verses twelve through twenty-eight through the rest of the book. First Thessalonians five, beginning in verse twelve, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one uh, repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Uh, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, God, who, is, who calls you is faithful and he, God, will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter 
uh, read to all the brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'd like to invite all the men in the room to stand real quick. Stand, guys, real quick. I want us to apply right away. God, in James chapter 1, says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word this morning. So, guys, could you look at verse 26? And we're going to apply this this morning. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So go ahead. I'm just kidding. Oh, well, gosh, I really had it happen. I'm just kidding. Have a seat. Have a seat. Yeah, we had, uh, that was one of our elders, in fact, uh, went and kissed somebody. So, hey, that's to each his own, I suppose. No, I'm just kidding. That could have come out real wrong. Anyways, guys, um, it's always fun to mess with some things, you know, get, to, get juices flowing this morning, but uh, I appreciate that. Well, if you guys remember, back in April, uh, we dove into this series, First Thessalonians. Uh, Brian and the elders, we, we wanted to do this series because we thought where we are at in a, as a church, it would be important for us to go through this book. Uh, as we may remember, maybe you're coming in for the first time this morning. That's some, got some pipes. He's going to be on the worship team someday. Um, anyways, uh, you may remember that Paul is writing to a people here in this Thessalonian city. These Thessalonians, they are suffering. They are going through severe persecution. They're, they are being tested on all angles of life. And, and they even were questioning these as a people. That there was obviously a lot of deaths going on around them, whether it was their loved ones or people they knew within the church, because they were asking, hey, what's going on with, with, with people when they, when they pass on, people who know the Lord when they pass on? What happens to them? And Paul addresses that issue. Paul addresses, as we, as we saw in the last few weeks, the, the coming return of Christ. And ultimately, he's pointing these people, hey, have faith, have hope. Christ is coming. He is coming and he will set things right. Keep persevering through the trial and through the suffering that you're going through. Well, it's interesting. We're, we're coming to the end of the book today. This will be our closing message for this series and, and I really, I, I, I kind of prayed to the Lord, Lord, how do we put a cap on everything we've been through? We've been through so much. I know personally, I've learned so much about myself, about the Christian life, about the Christian walk, what God desires of me, how, how to live this thing out. How do we put a cap on everything we've been doing? How do we close out really well? So that as we go into the summer, we're going to, anyways, as we go into a different series in the summer, how do we close this, um, this book out well? Well, as I prayed, I didn't take it lightly. I, you know, as I was praying, I, I read through First Thessalonians a few times this week, just kind of right through, and just, just one reading. It takes about 20 minutes just to read through, and, and I started seeing kind of something, a common occurrence that the Apostle Paul, as he, as he wrote this to this people, that he wrote a common occurrence over and over again. He would either remind them of, of either remind them of the work that they've been doing or the things that they've been living out in their sanctification, the things that they were doing in the Lord and things that God had, had commanded them to do and they're living it out even in the midst of the suffering. Either Paul's reminding them of that or he's taking new subjects or new things or things that he's challenging and exhorting them to continue to grow in things. Turn back to First Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to show us a few examples of this. And we're going to kind of do this really quick. I've got to do this fast because of time this morning. But go back to the beginning, and we're going to kind of see where Paul either reminds them of the work they've been doing or exhorts them and says, hey, keep doing it and do it even more, and here's some new things to chew on, okay? I want us to see this before we dive in this morning. 
So chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, we'll read verse 2 and 3. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before, the Lord, before God and Father your, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, guys, I want you to see, we know your labor of love. We've seen your steadfastness. You've been doing good. You've been continuing to live this life God's called you to, even in the midst of your suffering. Go down to verse 9 of chapter 1. Paul's talking about other churches around the area uh, seeing their testimony and and having having, uh, seen what they're doing. And it says this, uh, verse 9, For they, these churches themselves, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you, Thessalonians, how you guys turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, these Thessalonians had turned, even in the midst of their persecutions, they had turned from the idols of the city and idols of the ways of the world, and they had turned to the true and living God, and, and Paul is applauding them for that. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Again, we're going to spit through this really quick. I just want to see you guys to see this. Verse 12, Paul says, We exhorted each of you, okay, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. So here comes Paul. He's saying, not only am I reminding of the work that you've already been doing, that God's been doing in you and that you've been faithful in, but hey, I'm charging you. Keep going. Keep going. Move, you know, move into new waters, new things that I have for you, that God has for you, Paul says. I exhort you. I charge you. Keep moving. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Again, Now may the God and Father uh, himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord, listen to this, may the Lord make you guys increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he, so that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. May establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Not only the work that he's been doing in you. Yeah, you've been steadfast in love. You've been abounding in to a reputation to all the churches. But keep going. May God establish your hearts in all holiness and blameless. Wow. He keeps going. Uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, and listen to this, that you, do, uh, that you do so more and more. He continues to challenge them. Look at chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. If I can find it. 11 through 12. And to aspire, Paul says, hey, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And be dependent on no one. Paul's just encouraging them here. He's challenging them. How about chapter 5, verse 6? I'm going to read 6 through 8. Paul says, So then let us not sleep. Let us not sleep as, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, he's saying, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul's saying, guys, keep going. Put that breastplate on. Put that helmet on. You know, put that belt of truth on. Walk with the gospel of peace. He's saying, keep going, keep going. 
go, go, go. And then we just read what we just read for the closing out paragraph. He, verses 12 through 22 of what we just read, I mean, he's just kind of spitfiring a bunch of little commands of how to live. You know, hey, we ask you to respect those who labor among you. And we, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weep. All these, like, little commands, and he's, he's throwing them out. And then he comes to 16, rejoice always, pray, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's like, whoa, Paul, what the, what's going on here? And then he comes to verse 23. And it's where we're going to kind of camp out today. And I think Paul, after his whole letter, he's kind of, he's been throwing these, these, these things of sanctification, these works of holy living, these works of, this is what God has called you to live like in life on this side of eternity. And he comes to the end, and I think Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to miss his main point. He comes to verse 23, and he says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it i believe that as we finish up the series god would have us look closely into what a sanctified life looks like and not just you know, not just know all oh, the broad picture of, okay, it's becoming like Jesus. But w- what are the nuts and bolts? What can we take from, from this ending portion of, of Thessalonians and, and, and kind of throughout the book? What can we take and, and, and apply on a daily basis? Not even just daily, but on a moment-to-moment basis that we might continue to grow in our sanctification in the ways God desires of the Thessalonian church, but also of, of us as individuals and as a church today. Now, as I say that word sanctification or living a sanctified life or or may God sanctify us completely, um, I realize that if I were just to ask this morning, hey, give me one sentence or maybe in two sentences, give me a definition of what sanctification is all about, biblical sanctification. And I'd probably get a slew of different answers and they'd probably be all probably pretty decent. You know, we're smart people. We're smart guys and gals. We've been through scripture. We've been through what we, we understand a little bit and probably a lot about what sanctification is all about. I'd probably hear answers like it's, it's this. It's becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. It's the process of becoming like Christ. And I'd agree with that. I really would. I think that's a great definition, kind of a broad swipe of what sanctification is all about. Maybe others would dig a little deeper and they'd say this, sanctification is actually, it's progressively growing. It's progressively growing in holiness or in holy living. It's about being set apart unto God to be sanctified. And again, I would, I would agree with that. Um, within our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination actually has a lot to say about sanctification We believe in the fourfold gospel that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is our sanctifier, Jesus is our healer, and he's our coming king. And and again, it's it's all based on Scripture, what we see in Scripture. And as I went through Bible school, I went to a school that was within this denomination, and there was a lot of stuff that we covered in sanctification. In fact, when I was a senior, we had to write a senior thesis in order to graduate and and such, and and I chose the topic of sanctification because I just loved it. I ate it up. 
as we studied it in Bible and theology class. And I remember writing those books, or writing those books, writing that paper and reading a bunch of books. And there was one book that was my favorite. And many of you may have read this. It's a little book, but it's packed full of just good biblical stuff about what sanctification is all about. It's called Holy Sanctified. And it's written by A.B. Simpson. He's actually the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And he has, a, and not just this book, but he's written a lot of different books, a lot of tons of articles about it. He, he, when he, back in the day, he preached on sanctification, what it's all about. And anyways, a lot of the message today will be based on biblical principles of what sanctification is all about as we derive it from what God has, has shared to us. But also practically, as A.B. Simpson wrestled with this, and as the Christian Missionary Alliance has wrestled with this, in what we believe and what, you know, where the boundaries are and what, what it's all about, a lot of this message today is from, from books of this, okay? So, so what I'm saying that for is if, if this wets your whistle, if you're like, man, I want to know more, there's a lot more to know. Uh, pick up this book, pick up some other material from the Christian Missionary Alliance about sanctification, and read up on it, and you'll, you'll love it. It's, it's great stuff. Anyways, just giving credit where credit's due, really. So for us today, guys, I've titled today's message, Holy Sanctified. And for us this morning, I believe God desired us to be wholly sanctified by, by understanding, okay, but not just understanding, but also applying three core qualities of sanctification. Number one, to be sanctified means, and here's kind of our roadmap for this morning, our sanctification, to be sanctified means to separate. Sanctification means to dedicate. And to be sanctified means to consecrate. And would you just pray with me real quick? We're going to just ask the Lord to speak this morning. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you illuminate your truths to us, Lord, as we dive into this biblical topic, Lord, your topic of sanctification, what you desire us to know, Lord, what you desire us to understand and to have wisdom for, Lord, I pray that we might be a people who will listen well to your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you apply these truths to our lives, Lord, may we walk out of these uh, here changed people, Lord, because of your word, because of your truth, Jesus. We just praise you and thank you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so... To be sanctified, number one, as we jump in this morning, it means to separate. And specifically to separate from sin and separate from the ways or the world, the ways of the world or from the world. To separate from sin and separate from the ways of the world. Part of God's sanctifying work in the Thessalonians here, even back in the early church, obviously, was to separate them, to see them separated from sin and from the ways of the world, from the culture of that day. And if we jump back again to, to verses 12 through 22, again, we have Paul giving us these bu- just bunches of practical commands for his people to live out in their everyday life. But if we just, we'll miss this if we just breeze over these commands and these quick, you know, sayings that Paul just throws out at him. And we'll miss the fact that God's actually calling these people not just to go forth with these things that Paul's saying to do, but in going forth with them, they're actually separating themselves from the ways of sin and the ways of the world. Let me point out a couple. Look at verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says, hey, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
Now, on the surface, sure, that, that's just kind of a command. That's something that God would have us live in. Hey, don't repay evil for evil, but seek to do good to everyone, you know, and, and seek others' good above your own kind of a principle. Well, what Paul's saying there, in essence, is, hey, be separated from this thought and from this natural way of humanity that the sin in, in every individual that just wants to be all about them and to pay evil for evil. The natural human being will just, if you get hit once in the face, I'm going to hit that guy twice back. He, he deserves it back, so I'm going to hit him back, right? The world would say, well, pay evil for evil. It makes sense. It's all equal now. But God's calling his people out to be separated from that sin and from the ways of the world. And so Paul says in a command here, but it's actually a, it infers a separation. No one repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. How about verse 18? Jump down a couple of verses. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I can, I can only imagine being the Thessalonian shoes here. What? Give thanks to all three. I'm being persecuted. My loved one has just died. This is horrible. I'm suffering. I'm in affliction here. Give thanks? Now, what would sin in the ways of the world say in this example? The way of sin would say, well, get angry at God. Why is God allowing this to come into your life? He's the one who is allowing it. It's his fault. Get mad at God. The ways of the world would say, just, just get all woe is me and pity party and willy wally in my bad deck of cards that I got, you know, I got a bad hand dealt to me and I'm just never going to get out of it and I have no hope and blah, 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 right? Well, God's calling these guys out to be separated from that thought, from those normal ways, to be separate from that and say, give thanks in this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus for you to walk through the very things you're walking through. Anyways, all of those spitfire commands have a essence of being separate from. To sanctify is to separate. You know, the very, if we put our thinking caps on it, uh, about this, this concept of sanctifying being to separate, I thought this was interesting that I'll share real quick. It was, it's found the first word of sanctify or sanctified is in the Old Testament in Genesis 2-3. And it's where God, after creation, he, he creates the world in six days. We know the story of creation. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. God created the world in six days. Awesome. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And then in, in Genesis 2, 3, I'll quote it here for you. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Ah, Because in it, he rested from all his work which he had created and made. The very first time we see this concept of sanctification or sanctified being set apart was here. God creates the seventh day. He sets it apart from the rest of the six days. He sanctifies it. He made a clear, I think the the best way to see it, he made a clear separation from the rest of the six days. And he said, this is a holy day. This is a sanctified day. This is a, a day that's separated from the rest. And from that time forward, we know not long after that, sin enters into the world. And, and we, we see God throughout the rest of biblical history and events. We see a God beckoning and desiring his people to separate themselves from all of the sin and corruption of the world. Beckoning people to be holy and set apart for him, for his glory to be seen on earth. 
We see it numerous times throughout the Old Testament. We see him calling Noah out to be separated. We see him calling Abraham out in Genesis 12 to be separated from his homeland, to go to a new land that God was going to call Abraham to, to a new nation, new people. We see him separate the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. And in the book of Exodus, he, he frees them from the Egyptians and he, and he calls them out to be a special people, a sanctified people unto him. And it's, and it's interesting, maybe we've never put this piece together, but as he gives the, the nation of Israel the law, the Ten Commandments and the other 613 parts of the law that we read in the Le- Le- Levitical law in the Old Testament, God is calling them out. Why does he give them the law? He's calling them out to be separated from sin. Separated from the rest of the ways of the world. That was the point of the law, that they might be holy and set apart unto him. And we see, you know, the the era of the judges, and we got uh, the kings, you know, King David and all the, the good kings that would call, always beckon the people back to God. Hey, be separated from, don't, don't serve those idols. Don't worship those things. Be, 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 know the, the true and living God. Be separated from the, the sin and from the ways of the world. And on and on through the Old Testament, even in the minor and major prophets, their main message in one banner could say, hey, Come be separated from sin and from the ways of the world. Come know the true God and the true ways of living. Not just in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. As we think about this theme of of sanctification, meaning to separate, we see in the New Testament all over the place too. But just a few for us to, to chew on this morning. Jesus prays in John 17 that both his present disciples and in the future believers who, who are to believe in the disciples' word, that they would be, Jesus literally prays that we would be sanctified from the world, that we would be separated and set apart. Paul exhorts the church in Rome to not be conformed to the world, right? We know this memory verse from long ago, Romans 12, 2, that we don't be conformed to the world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What's that whole aspect of being transformed? To be separated, to be set apart, to be different. Then the Apostle Peter even, it's just not about Paul, Peter, James, John, all the, all the disciples were calling the people out to be separated. Anyways, Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, and it's actually a song, this verse is based on a song that we do quite often here. He says this, but you are a chosen race, speaking to the people of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him, of God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us and called the early church and has called us to be a people that is called out of darkness, separated from the darkness and into his marvelous light. To sanctify is to separate. Then, of course, we come to our passage here in Thessalonians where pretty straightforward God says, now may I, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May you be fully separated from sin and from the ways of the world. Paul says in the closing chapter here. So question, just for personal reflection this morning. I think a lot of us could, could, can understand this. Okay, we get it. We get it. Sanctification is to, to separate How does this work out, though, in real life? How does this work out in the moment of 
temptation to sin or how does this work out in a moment where my normal way of life would go this way into maybe the ways of the world or in the ways of sin, how do I apply this concept to separate from it? Well, A.B. Simpson, again, in this book, Holy Sanctified, he says this about practicing this and applying this in everyday life. He says this, Sanctification means our, our voluntary separation from sin. It is not the extinction of sin. It is the putting off, the laying aside of evil by the detaching of ourselves from it and placing an an impassable gulf between us and it. We are to separate ourselves not only from our past sins, but from sin as a principle of life. We are to put off the old life, acting as if it were no longer ourself. We are to reckon. There's that word reckon. I don't know. We've covered that before in the past. We are to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, just as uh, much as though we were no longer the same person. A.B. Simpson sounds a lot like Paul in Romans chapter 6. And I actually want you to put your finger in Thessalonians. And I want us to turn to Romans chapter 6 real quick because this is important. And we've been here before. I remember when we did the identity series years back, we, we hit this pretty hard. But it's time to hit it a little bit again. It's okay. So go back to Romans chapter 6. Sounds a lot about what Paul's writing to the church in Rome about in terms of this issue of sanctification, this issue of sin being dead to us and us being separated from our sin, literally. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, we're going to read here. Verse 6, we know, Paul says, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do we, do we hear that this morning? That, so that we no longer will be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And now Paul turns the table and he starts speaking to the church. He talks to us now. Verse 11, so you also, so you believer who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Simpson says we are to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Just as much as though we were no longer the same person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about that those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. Behold, the new is gone. I'm sorry, the old is gone and the new has come. Now, does Paul say the old has kind of gone, but it's still there in its entirety? I mean, a rhetorical question. I know it's like, what do I say to that, Matt? I don't even know what to answer you. The old is gone. It's separated from us. The psalmists say that, that, that God has separated our sins from ourselves as far as the east is from the west. Can you separate that? No. You can't separate that. 
It's as far as each other as you can get. There's a, there's a gulf between us and sin. But the fact is we don't believe it sometimes. The fact is we don't believe that we are free. The fact is we don't believe that we are new. So question this morning in this, are we believing? Are we reckoning? Are we trusting that we are dead unto sin and that we indeed can be separated from it even on a day-to-day basis? Reckoning and living in this truth that we are separated from it. Now, if we just stop here, and maybe some of you can identify with this with me. Sometimes when I'm tempted to sin or when I'm tempted to go the ways of the world and, or my own natural, just fleshly ways or whatever, and I say, I say okay, Lord, I, I want to recognize, I know I'm dead to the sin. I know it has no power over me, so I'm going to yeah, just kind of say no and separate myself from it. I'm going to walk over here and, oh, you know, got, got through that. But it's so sometimes so heavy to let go of something that you think brings you life, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Or am, I, am I all by myself with that? Okay, good. There's a couple. No, um, we all understand that tension that sin and, and, and our fleshly ways can bring. And when we say no and separate ourselves from that, it leaves us kind of almost empty like, ah, oh, now I'm just kind of, I don't know what to do with myself now. Well, a principle that I've learned that I think applies here, and it's going to spur us into the next point, is something that I've learned practically from parenting. Okay? I got three kids. I got a six-year-old daughter, four-year-old boy, and a two-year-old daughter. It's fun. We're busy. Uh, But my son, okay, I'll use him as an example. If he's playing with a fire truck that makes, has like three different buttons that makes, each button makes a different noise. And boy, when he hits all three, that thing's just going, woo, 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 and it's like, it's like chaos in our house. And so sometimes me and Lauren are trying to watch a show or we're trying to have a conversation, God forbid, that we can actually have a conversation as adults in our house. But I'll go to Noah and I'll say, Noah, buddy, and you guys tell me what will happen if I do this. Noah, buddy, hey, do you mind if me and mommy need to talk? Can I just take this uh, fire truck from you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that away, separate you from this fire truck that you were playing with and that you always have loved, and I'm just going to walk away and leave you with nothing. What will happen? <laughs> Scream, fit, you know, rip his shirt off, run outside, you know, whatever. whatever. He, he does all kinds of things. But I have learned, Lorna and I, we, we have learned if, 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 if he's doing something, if he's playing with something we don't want him to play with, or if he's about to do something that we don't want him to do, we will offer him something else in, in, for a replacement. I'll bring him a nice car that doesn't make any noise that he can play with silently. And I'll say, Noah, dude, this car's sweet. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me take that ambulance or that fire truck. And there you go. I know it's a silly example, but guys, the same thing for this. And as we go into our next point, we can't just stop. And many of us do this. We can't just stop at separating ourselves from sin. We need to be replaced with something else. There needs to be something that fills that void, fills that gap. We need to be joined to another. And this is where the second quality of sanctification comes into play. To be sanctified not only means to separate, but secondly, it means to dedicate. To dedicate ourselves to God. 
We can't just separate ourselves from these things that we've learned to get life from, these sins and ways of the flesh and ways of the world. We can't just start to go, okay, I got to separate from this and just leave it at that and go, I'm just empty. We need to now separate but dedicate to God. Now, what does this mean here? Remember in the Thessalonian church, we have these people, they were going through major life disappointments. They were going through major sufferings. And, and Paul saying to them, he's ultimately saying to them, and let's, let's read this real quick, verses 16 through 18. If we look back in 1 Thessalonians, we have the three verses that I've always been like wowed with. Paul says to these guys who are going through suffering, who are going through tremendous hard circumstances in life, he says this to them, rejoice always, <laughs> pray without ceasing, or have an ongoing relationship with God, right? And thirdly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I've pulled my hair out with that, like, how can Paul say that to these people? These people are suffering, and then he tells them this? But I think behind it, if, if we put the lens, if we put a lens on of sanctification, what it means to not only separate ourselves from sin in the ways of the world, but now to dedicate ourselves to God, this is the step of dedication I believe Paul is doing for them. He's saying, hey, don't just separate yourself from the temptation in your, in your horrible life circumstance or your suffering or in the confusion of life to separate from just being angry with God or being just depressed in your own self and not having any, never looking up to what God could do, but you're just kind of mollowing in your self-pity and, oh, woe is me, I'm just, I'm just blah, 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 my life, I've been dealt a bad deck and da, 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 da. Not only separate from the temptation to do that, because that's temptation to do that, right, when life gets hard, but he, he takes it a step further, further. He says, rejoice in it, guys. Rejoice, because God's got a plan. He says, pray without ceasing. Don't just, don't just get mad at God and not and distance yourself from him. Go, go forward with him. Get, get even deeper with Jesus. Pray without ceasing. Know him on an intimate basis, on an uh, yeah, intimate moment-by-moment basis and daily. And then again, give thanks in all circumstances. Not just separate yourself from, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept these circumstances. No, give thanks. That's the difference from just separating yourself and then actually taking the step of dedicating yourself to God. To sanctify is to dedicate. A.B. Simpson says this about this word dedicate. The radical idea of this word dedicate is to be set apart, to be the property of another. Listen to this. We offer ourselves to God for his absolute ownership that he may possess us as his property, prepare us for his purpose, and work out in us all of his holy and perfect will as we dedicate ourselves to him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. Our bodies are not our own. Jesus owns them. If we know him as our Lord and Savior, he owns us. He possesses us. We are his possession, literally. He bought us with a price. Again, Paul in Romans 12, now verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God 
which is your spiritual worship. And again, I didn't ask you to do it. I should have. Go back to Romans chapter 6. We're going to keep reading that passage as Paul lays out even more for us as, as, we're, as we ought to dedicate and offer ourselves to God. Let's, let's turn back to that Romans 6 passage. We're going to continue in that as well this morning. Romans chapter 6, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in here again with verse 11 and then keep going. He, see, he left us off last time. So you, you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Paul continues, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but hear this, but now present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments now for righteousness. And now jump down to the second part of verse 19. Paul says, for just as you once presented your members and your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your your thoughts and your hands, once you presented your members to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, now present your eyes, your your hands, your feet, your your thoughts, your your emotions, everything, your members, now present your members to to slaves to righteousness, as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? leading to your sanctification. Paul says, present yourself to God. Dedicate yourself to God. It's not enough to just separate from. That leaves us kind of empty and wondering and we need to dedicate as well. In this quality of sanctification, there is an action of us presenting and offering our whole selves to God. Question, as you deal with temptation and as you deal with life, I'm sure we all do that dance of trying to separate from sin. I'm sure we're all there. But do we take another step and actually dedicate ourselves to God? When was the last time we actually dedicated our bodies, our hands, our eyes, our ears, our thoughts, our, our motives, our emotions to God, unto God? To sanctify is to to dedicate. Back in Thessalonians 5.23, as we're covering today, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And what we've covered so far, may may he sanctify you completely. May, May we completely be separated from sin. May we completely be dedicated to him. And finally this morning, May we consecrate ourselves under the Holy Spirit. May we not just stop at separation and dedication, but let's move into these waters of consecration. What is this all about? And I've got to be quick here this morning. A.B. Simpson, bringing some clarity to this word consecrate, says this. The literal translation of the old Hebrew word to consecrate is, uh, is to fill the hand. You think of two empty hands, and, and the, the hands are empty, but water pouring in to fill the hand. It suggests the deepest truth in connection with sanctification, that Christ himself, Christ himself must be the substance, and not just the substance, but and the supply of our new spiritual life, and fills us with his own spirit and his own holiness. This point 
Actually, it's at the end, but it actually is the foundation and the means by which we continue to separate ourselves. It's the mean by which we continue to, de- de- to dedicate ourselves to God. And it's ultimately how we, can, we consecrate ourselves as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember a few weeks back, Doug Grogan covered a, a passage in Thessalonians where it talked about sanctification. And he, he, he brought us into this view of um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul, the Apostle Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And Doug was, was showing us that Greek word to be, to be filled is a present imperative. And it's not describing just a one-time filling. But it is describing a regular pattern of being filled daily, moment by moment. It's a continual filling, an everyday filling of the Holy Spirit. Andrew Murray in his book, The Spirit of Christ, I was reading, uh, says, says this, and I think it's a, a great thing to this point. He says this, the first condition of all filling, what is it? Is emptiness. A reservoir is a hole, a great empty place prepared, waiting, thirsting, crying for for water to come. And then he says this, any true abiding fullness of the Spirit is preceded by emptying. Do you agree? It's got to be. It's got to be because if if my hands were filled with something, it wouldn't have any room for any more, for anything else. So a question for silent reflection for us this morning. As we consider that quote, emptying of what? What is he talking about? Emptying of what so that we might be filled with the Spirit? Emptying of what? What is the single most detrimental thing that gets in our way as believers of being continually filled by the Spirit? What do we need to empty ourselves of? Again, just just reflect for yourself. What do we need to empty ourselves of? And no matter what may be coming to mind, ultimately all of our answers are the same. It's self. To be filled with the Spirit means we need to be empty of ourselves, of self. And do you know how to spell self? I think it might be on the screen. F-L-E-S-H. Flesh. Flesh. Our self, our natural inclination to go the ways of sin or the ways of the world or even our own made-up way. Our flesh, our self. We need to be um, emptied of our self, of our flesh, in order to be filled with the Spirit. Paul says to the Galatian church, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other. There's a war going on to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. As God desires us to be living a life of sanctification. To be sanctified is to consecrate, to empty ourselves from self and to be continually filled by his Holy Spirit. As Paul brings here in First Thessalonians, he brings his thoughts to a close for this Thessalonian church. These folks that are suffering and, and dealing with horrible, hard circumstances in life. 
as he concludes all of what he has said up until this point about the return of Christ and that their hope needs to be set on that, concluding all of that he has said and comforting them and explaining what happens as believers die and pass on to the next life. As Paul concludes what he says about standing strong in the midst of this trial and in the midst of the circumstances that they're dealing with, Paul pens this verse that we've been focused on today. He says, Now may the God of peace himself... And don't miss that. We're, going, going, we're, we're ending here, but we're going to end with this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And again, as we've talked today, sanctify you completely. How? Well, I think three main components of it is to separate from sin, to know that we are separated, but to practically live it out, be separated from sin. But don't stop there, but to dedicate yourself to God. Dedicate those very areas of your hands or your eyes or your mind that, 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 that is inclined to sin in those ways and dedicate those very things to God. That might be just a step you need to do. Anyways, separate to dedicate and to finally to consecrate and be filled with the Holy Spirit. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And we will close as we look into verse 24. He, God, who calls you in all of this sanctification work... He who calls you to sanctification to you will be faithful, is faithful. And he, God, will surely do it. This was a hard message to put together because while I put it together, I was, I was struggling because th- there's a double-sided coin going on here because on one side of the coin, yes, we, in some ways, we need to be allowing God to do a work of sanctification in our life. And what does that look like on the surface? It looks like me, as I'm tempted to sin, to say no to it, right? It's not like I'm just sitting on my hands and letting God do a work, though that's what's happening. But on the surface, it's, it's me acting and allowing and, and being available and surrendering. And there, there's a peace in this for us to do. But ultimately, as we separate, dedicate, and consecrate Ultimately, and Paul's reminding this church of this, that it's God's work to do. And that he will be faithful to complete it in us. Don't leave here today with a checklist of three things. Okay, okay, we looked at the Bible today and it told, it told me to separate myself from sin, to dedicate myself to God, and to consecrate. And I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and and I'm going to get ready and by my own self-effort, boy, I'm going to get these three points underway this week. No, 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 no. Yeah, maybe on the surface, it looks like we're doing some actions in it, sure. But our actions mainly are just surrendered to him to allow him to help us be separated from sin, to allow him to help us dedicate ourselves and to allow him to fill us that we might be able to do it all. Paul reminds the Thessalonian church before they go off the rim and become legalistic in their own self-effort. And he says, God who has called you will be faithful to this. He will complete this. He will surely do it. Paul's words reminds me of, of what our Savior said when he walked this earth. Jesus in John chapter 15 says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you, unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine. Do you understand that I am the vine? You are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he, it is he or she that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we seek to allow God to sanctify us completely, we, we got to be people that are plugged into the vine. We got to be people that are allow, allowing Christ to be all that he is, that, that, that we're to consecrate all that he is, that we're just emptying ourselves of self, which includes self-effort, emptying of all of that so that we are empty and we can be filled by all of Christ. Christ our Savior, Christ our Sanctifier. Christ our Healer, Christ our Coming King. May Christ be all in all to us, even and, and, and especially as we seek to be a people who are allowing the process of sanctification to continue to unfold in our life. Maybe you're here this morning and, and there are some, some big sins and some big ways of the world and some, some areas that you're just like, this is going to be an impossible thing. With God, all things are possible. Left to ourselves, yeah, we'll fail. But with God, all things are possible. I pray that we might turn to him in new and fresh ways this week and in the coming weeks. Uh, would you pray with me as we, as we just pray? Lord Jesus, we, I just pray, God, that you would use your word, your truth, Lord, found throughout the New Testament, Lord, about what it means for us as, as believers to you, Jesus, what it means for us to be wholly sanctified, completely sanctified. In our, in, our, in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, Lord, all in our members, God, may give us understanding, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding as we walk out and, and live our normal lives, even this afternoon and tomorrow and into Tuesday. Lord Jesus, would you help us apply this? Jesus, help, help us to be people who are filled by your, your spirit and we're plugged in the vine, Lord, where we can, by your own substance, separate ourselves from sin in the ways of the world, Lord. And, and not just stop there, but dedicate ourselves to you and, Lord, to consecrate ourselves, to be filled by you on a daily basis. Jesus, we know that without your Holy Spirit's work within us, that this would just fall on deaf ears and, and remain we would re remain unchanged people. Lord Jesus, we just pray that we would leave here and look to your spirit to fill us, that we might be changed, that we might be sanctified people. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.